Hello everyone and welcome to the second season of the History of Modern Greece, where we cover the subject of the fall of Constantinople to the modern day. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George. Hi, my name's George. And our music is brought to you by Mark Youngerman. This is Season 2, Episode 73, The Turkic Origin Stories, The Khazar Cognate. We spent the last two episodes of the podcast talking about the mighty Gok-Turk Cognate, a steppe empire that stretched from Crimea to Korea. It was the mother of all steppe tribes, and they had so much potential to rule over the steppe lands for centuries to come. But just like so many steppe empires that came before, and would soon follow, they crashed and burned almost as soon as they started. The Gok Turks influenced events in China, Korea, Mongolia, Central Asia, the Sassanid Empire, and even the Byzantine Empire. We've been working on this podcast for over three years now, and it still amazes us how interconnected everything is in history. But now the Gokturk cognate has fallen, and we must return to the narrative. The whole point of this Turkic origin stories was to explain how the Roman Empire came to struggle against the Seljuk Turks. But before we can talk about who the Seljuks are, we must talk about the biggest tribe that rose from the ashes of the Gok Turks. We are, of course, referring to the Khazars. Now, it's important to note, there is a lot of bad information about the Khazars. When we were doing our research, we found a huge conspiracy website dedicated to the Khazar Cognate, and we're going to stay far away from any of that nonsense. So just to get it out of the way, we'll let you know where we're getting our information on the Khazars from. If you want a full detailed list, you can go to our website or you can read it in our book. But here is a brief layout. We got a lot of it from a video interview by Professor Shaul Stamfer from Hebrew University, academia.edu, and the University of Rochester, and our favorite YouTube channel, Kings and Generals. As the Gok Turks moved west across the steppe lands, they assimilated all the Turkic tribes into their empire. The Khazars were one of these tribes. When the Gok Turks went to war in the west, they were using Khazar warriors, among many other tribes. We mentioned the Gok Turks fighting in the Byzantine, Sassanid, or Roman and Persian wars of the early 7th century. These warriors were mostly made up of Khazars, and when the Gokturk Cognate finally collapsed, the Khazars established their own Khanate. Just like their ancestors, the Khazars were nomadic horse warriors who practiced Tengrism. However, their domain wasn't Central Asia. They lived in the Pontic Steppe, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Another thing to note is that they were a multi-ethnic tribe, consisting of many different peoples. Just like many steppe tribes, they were very fluid and assimilated the tribes around them. Some of these tribes could have practiced Tengrism as well, and others could have been practicing Christianity 
and maybe even Slavs who worship their old gods. Having established their home in the plains above the Caucasus, they would frequently raid the civilized settlements and steal whatever they could, and ride off into the prairies. The kingdoms that lived in the mountains between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea would have suffered countless raids from these horse tribes. From a geographical point of view, the Caucasus is kind of like a gate that protects the settled lands of the Middle East from the wild steppe lands of Eurasia. The main river that flows into the Black Sea from Europe is the Volga River, and one of the main rivers that flow into the Black Sea through Azov is the Don River. These two rivers form an X-like pattern on a map directly above the Caucasus region. Where these two rivers meet is where the Khazars established their home. This meant they controlled the trade routes that flowed into the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. At the very least, they controlled the northern routes into these seas. Around the same time as the collapse of the Gok Turk Empire, trouble was brewing in the south. The war between the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire had left both sides weakened and nearly exhausted. And this is when the Arabs sprung out of the desert and conquered large swaths of land. The Arabs conquered all of Persia and most of the Roman Empire, and they swept across the Levant and Syria. They made their way to the Caucasus Mountains, the gate to the Eurasian steppe. The Georgian kingdoms that lived in the Caucasus Mountains found themselves squeezed between the conquering Khazars to the north and the conquering Arabs to the south. The Arabs were on a mission to conquer the entire world, and this gate of mountains was not going to stop them. There were passes through the mountains, but this created a bottleneck. It's hard to tell if the Arabs were looking for another way to sweep around the Black Sea and hit Constantinople from the north, or if they were just bent on conquering everyone they could. But we do know they saw the Khazars as an enemy to be subjugated. In 642, the Arabs made their way around the mountains, following the Caspian Sea, where they came to a choke point. The mountains pushed right up against the sea, and between the mountains and the water lay a major city called Durbent. A Durbent. Here the fighting went on for eight long, bloody years. It was extremely violent on both sides. Eventually, though, the Arabs made it past the city and pushed into the lands beyond, reaching the Khazar capital city of Balanjar. The Arabs now had an outpost beyond the mountains that they could use as a springboard to launch further raids into the Khazar steppe lands. What followed next was one of the bloodiest battles fought during the Arab conquests. Muslim sources refer to the Khazars as the tribes of Gog and Magog. When the Arabs marched north, they came with heavy and light cavalry, with thousands of infantry soldiers, whereas the Khazars were nomadic steppe warriors. They relied on swift cavalry with archers. They rode up to the enemy, fired their arrows, and rode away before any real damage could be dealt back to them. To make it worse for the Arabs, 
even if they did destroy an army or kill a commander, these tribes were loosely organized, and the defeat of one city or army meant nothing to the cohesion of the Khazars. This wasn't like a civilized army that had the generals and commanders with the soldiers, and when they fell, the entire war plan collapsed. This was different. There was no surrender. There was no strategic blow that would destroy the military effort. In 652, the Arab commander, ignoring the advice of the caliph, launched a full-scale attack against the Khazars. At first, it seemed like the Arabs were on the winning side of the battle. They came in strong, organized, and attacked the Khazar capital. But immediately, riders were sent out in all directions throughout the lands, warning of the full-scale invasion. And riders from all over Khazaria responded to the threat and galloped south. After three days of intense fighting, the full Khazar forces arrived on the scene, and they hit the Arabs with tens of thousands of arrows. The result was an overwhelming defeat for the Arabs. 4,000 soldiers were slain on the battlefield, including the Arab commander himself. With the bodies of the Arab caliphate littering the ground in front of their capital, the decision was made. They were going to relocate further into the steppe lands. For the Khazars, it wasn't that hard to move a capital city. Unlike a settled civilization, such as the Romans or the Persians. The southern frontiers of the Khazars was settled. There was no further going south. The Caucasus were the new border between the Khazars and the Caliphate. But that did not mean the Khazars were going to stop where they were. They turned their attention back to the steppe and began their expansion, or conquering, to the north, west, and east. To their immediate west, the lands north of the Crimea were a steppe people called the Bulgarians. When they hit the Bulgars, they fractured their peoples and sent several tribes fleeing in all directions. There was one tribe that stayed and fought, most likely dying in the Khazar wake. But several tribes fled north and west, and some traveled south into the Byzantine Roman territory, where they would settle and become the Bulgarians we know from earlier episodes. Another one of these tribes that were attacked by the Khazars was the Magyars, who were either killed, assimilated, or forced to flee west. At this point, the Khazars became an empire of sorts. They were ruled by a Kagan and they had generals looking after all of the conquered lands of their new empire. The Khazars now occupied all of the land north of the Caucasus, as well as the majority of the Crimean Peninsula, and what we would call the Ukraine. On the other side of the mountains, the Caliphate built fortresses along the mountains to prevent the Khazars from crossing over the mountains and raiding into their new empire. But it was not enough to hold against the Khazars. Once they had built a strong enough army in their homeland, they marched them through the mountains and invaded the lands south of the mountains, penetrating deep into the caliphate. According to Arab sources, these invading armies contained up to 300,000 soldiers. The numbers are obviously conflated. 
but the numbers were significant. And when they came into contact with the caliphate, they caused severe death and destruction. The battles were bloody and thousands upon thousands were killed. The Arab reports say the nomads had light skin, red hair, and blue eyes, and when they attacked, they were merciless. Like many other steppe tribes, they slaughtered everyone they could, wiping out the Arab armies and slaughtering any who surrendered, including women and children. The Khazars were met by a 25,000-strong Arab army. Being vastly outnumbered, the Arabs were completely rolled over by the Khazars. It is said that the Khazar commander Bajik, the son of the Khan, rode on a throne with wheels that was drawn by a horse. Mounted to the sides of his throne were long pikes that held the heads of fallen Muslims skewered over top of them. Instead of focusing their soldiers on military targets, they widely dispersed and sought out the gold and riches of the settlements in the Levant. This disorientation allowed the Arabs to mount a counter-offensive that pushed the Khazars back to the mountains and out of the caliphate. The Khazar-Arab wars ended here, and at almost the same time, across the continent, the Franks had defeated the caliphate at the Battle of Tours, as did the Romans at the Siege of Constantinople. The war devastated the Umayyad Caliphate as well, for it was only a few years later that the Abbasids revolted and conquered the Caliphate, ending the Age of Expansion. The Khazars were now an established superpower of the Eurasian continent, and they were sitting on some of the most prized trading rivers. They controlled the Northern Silk Road. Members of their society were traders, and they brought money and wealth to the new empire. Having pushed right into the Crimea, they sat on the doorstep of the northernmost territories of the Roman Empire. And within the Roman cities of the Crimea were many merchants and traders who brought goods from the steppe and Silk Road and sailed it down to Constantinople. Among these merchants in the Crimea were many Jewish people. Having come into contact with both the Romans and the Caliphate, the Khazars were familiar with the monotheistic religions of the two superpowers. Now this is the part of the episode that is highly contested, as there are many lectures by professors who argue these events did not happen. But we will tell you both sides of the argument. It is said that the Khazar Khan was looking to convert to one of the great religions of the settled world but he did not want to become a vassal of either. If he converted to Christianity, he would be a spiritual vassal of the Patriarch in Constantinople. And if he converted to Islam, the same would be true with the Caliphate. But the Jewish missionaries in Crimea were not attached to the Empire or the Caliphate. So he converted to Judaism. Now maybe this is for sincere spiritual reasons. And maybe it was just for political reasons. But it is said that around the year 740, the Khazar Khan and his elites converted to Judaism. 
Now, having looked for sources that dispute this, there is a professor from a university in Israel that denies the entire conversion of the Khazars to Judaism. He watched the entire lecture, and he made some very interesting points, but he was also very dismissive of the theory in general. It also seemed like he was a little defensive of the notion, maybe because the whole idea seemed preposterous to him. His argument was that it seemed silly for a Turkic tribe to convert to Judaism, and the reason the Arab historians said the Khazars converted to Judaism was more of an insult from Islamic historians rather than a historical fact. He said in his lecture that Muslims hated Jews and Khazars, so to insult the Khazars, they called them dirty Jews. There are coins minted in Khazaria that state There is no God but God, and his prophet is Moses. This professor claims that this coin is a fake, or at the very least, a one-off that could be minted as a joke. I don't know what is true, so we're telling you both sides of the argument. It did seem that the professor from Israel was dismissive of the Khazar conversion to Judaism, and he had a motive for the dismissal. So we will continue the episode following the story of the Khazar conversion. And as an outsider looking in with no gain from either argument, there was plenty of reason for the Khazars to convert. It allowed them to trade with both empires, as it made them people of the book, and not some barbaric tribe of pagans. It also makes sense considering the influx of Jews, to the Khazar kingdoms as they fled persecution under the Roman Empire. And they were also fleeing the Caliphate, crossing the Caspian Sea and arriving in the northern kingdom of the Khazars. The Khazars were now a rich empire, occupying fertile lands and important trade routes. They also had a strong presence of Jewish merchants and citizens from both the Caliphate and the Roman Empire. It was not long before that the Gok Turks controlled this whole region, and the knowledge of riches from China and the Roman Empire would make them very rich if they just controlled the passage between these great superpowers. An Arab writer at the time described the Khazar kingdom as follows. This is a very pleasant and prosperous country, and from it comes sheep, cows, and innumerable slaves. Because of the Volga River and the Don River that flowed into the Black and Caspian Seas, the Khazars controlled the literal highways between the two superpowers and even the lands to the north where the Kievan Rus lived. The Khazars were known to produce their own goods and sell them to the empires around them, including honey and beeswax, which could be made into candles as well as wine. The fur trade from the north was highly prized in the caliphate. Unfortunately, this wealth and prosperity attracted the attention of other, more dangerous people. From the east, another Turkic tribe that had once belonged to the Gok Turks was eyeing the prize. And these Turkic nomads were called the Pechenegs. They were a fierce band of horse riders that resembled the early ferocity of the Khazars before they had settled. They were ruthless and savage, 
and they raided into the settled lands of the Khazars. From the north, a tribe of Viking Slavic warriors rode down the rivers and raided the Khazar kingdoms along the Dnieper River. A series of wars with the Rus continued to chip away at their control of the Dnieper River. It wasn't like an army living in the lands was fighting against them. The Vikings never stopped coming. Their home was far, far away in Scandinavia. And the Viking warriors grew in numbers every year. Even when the Khazars wiped out an entire Viking army, another one was there to replace them the following season. As for the Pechenegs in the east, they were nomadic and could ride in and ride out as they pleased. It didn't happen at once. But very quickly the cracks started to form in the Khazar cognate. What dealt the final blow to the Khazars was caused by a famous man we have talked about in several episodes before. This is, of course, the one and only Sviatoslav. Sviatoslav was no longer content with winning skirmishes in the lands along the Dnieper River. He was determined to seek out the Khazar capital and cut the head off a snake. He traveled with a large army and rode up and down the rivers until they came across the Khazar capital. After a bloody battle, the Viking Kievan Rus did what the Arabs could not. They destroyed the capital city and massacred the leaders of the Khazar Khaganate. After this, the Khazars disintegrated. And what that meant was that the Pechenegs had free reign from the east. Like most empires that fell, it started slowly. Then, it crashed all at once. The Rus did not just destroy the Khazar Khaganate, they assimilated it. They saw the wealth and trade and social structures of the Cognate and absorbed it into their own new empire. If you want an example of how much the Kievan Rus assimilated from the Khazars, look no further than the Ukrainian coat of arms. They use the same symbol as the Khazars. But what happened to all those Jews living in the Khazar kingdom? The Rus were now Christians. Or at least they would be very soon. Some say they were absorbed into the Kievan Rus Empire, and others say they were killed. And some say they fled in all directions. But there is another hypothesis that came out a few decades ago. And that is that the Jewish population of the Khazar Empire fled west and sought refuge in Europe. Now this is a highly contentious debate, and it takes us back to the same lecture from the professor in the University of Israel. And he says that it is nothing more than a fanciful story. Genetics have been done that show the Jewish population in Poland is made up of very similar genes to that of Palestinians. Therefore, there is no way the Khazar refugees make up the population of Polish Jews. But there is another way to look at this. Perhaps all stories are true. Perhaps the Jews of Europe did come from the Middle East. And perhaps they also came from the Khazar refugees. But also, perhaps, the Jewish communities 
of Constantinople, who came from the Middle East, fled persecution, and made it into Khazaria. And then from there, they fled to Poland. There are arguments that if the Jews fled to western Poland, why don't we see them sprinkled throughout the lands in between? Well, there's also a good explanation for that too. When the Mongol Empire came crashing into Eastern Europe, they completely massacred every settlement they came across. And any Jewish settlement in between was simply wiped off the face of the earth. One of the reasons it seems like the professor was against the theory of Khazar refugees making up the bulk of the Jewish populations in Europe is because it would erase their claim to Israel as their homeland. So there is a very good reason why he would want to debunk such a theory right away. But maybe, just maybe, if you run into a Jewish person in Europe who has red hair and blue eyes, you are looking at the descendant of a great Khazar Khan. What we can say for sure is that the Khazars ceased to exist around the end of the 10th century. The major players that follow are the Kevin Roos and the Pechenegs, both of whom have close encounters with the Byzantine Empire. But we can now finally get to the story of the Seljuks, the Turks who will conquer all of the Middle East and most of Anatolia. So stay tuned for our next episode of the Turkic miniseries, The Seljuk Turks. So Dan, today we talked about conate and cognate. Do you know the difference? At first I didn't, to be honest, so we uh, looked it up. I, I looked it up before this episode and we got it up right now. And the best way to describe it is a con is the leader of a tribe, but he is not an absolute ruler, whereas a kagan is the absolute ruler and you sometimes has cons underneath him. So you think of a con as a king and a kagan as an emperor or a, a khanate as a kingdom and a kaganate as an empire. A kagan is usually referred to as a great khan. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on the history of modern Greece. Stay safe and stay awesome. <laughs>